You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. Good morning, Evanston Bible Fellowship. My name is Danny Russell, and I serve as the Director of Ministries and Operations on staff, and I'm so grateful to be able to look at God's Word with you all this morning. Let me begin by saying on this Thanksgiving weekend how thankful I am for each and every one of you. I'm thankful to be a part of a church with faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who so genuinely desire to love one another. And not only is it Thanksgiving weekend, but it's also the first Sunday of Advent. I know many of us didn't have the the Thanksgiving that we wanted or that we expected, but I pray that as we enter the Advent season, that we will be able to direct our eyes, direct our gaze towards the hope that this season brings. And not only in remembering the birth of Jesus, but also in looking ahead to his return. Thank you, Moses, for um, helping us get started by reminding us this morning of the hope of Advent. I also wanted to share a personal update this morning. Some of you already know this, but we found out in July that my wife Penny is pregnant with our first child. And, And even more, we found out a couple of weeks ago that we are having a boy. Finding this out has been a roller coaster, to say the least, of excitement, but also fear and insecurity. And not to mention, it's made our to-do list a lot longer. One of the big practical things that we've had to uh, start figuring out is a baby registry. If you've never had to do this before, make a baby registry, picture yourself making a Christmas list for someone, but you have no idea what they need or what they want. I remember the first time sitting down and starting to think through what we would need. And the true and honest answer was, I had no idea. I didn't know where to start. And even if I knew a general object, like a crib, I had no idea what brands to look for, what the proper costs should be, what safety features to consider. I felt completely lost. And to be honest, that led me to put it off for a bit. My ignorance led me to inaction. Thankfully, I have a great wife, the best wife in the world, in fact, and and she has been doing so much not only to to figure out what we need, but also to educate me about those things. And, And we are in a much better place now. But that feeling of being completely lost and the inaction that followed has really stuck with me. And the more I've thought about it, the more I've realized that I adopt this attitude at times in my prayer life as well, specifically when it comes to praying for others. There are times when I find myself not knowing what to ask for, and then that can lead me to just not do it. My ignorance leads me to inaction. In our passage this morning, we have a model to follow when we pray for others that I think will be a great encouragement to our prayer lives. And this passage not only points us 
to the importance of praying for others, praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for other believers, but also gives insight into how we should pray for them. And my hope is that by the end of this sermon, no one will feel helpless or lost when thinking about how to pray for other believers. So let's read the passage together. Um, Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, if you have it, uh, either the Bible, the book itself, or uh, on your phone to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of your church. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts this morning as we look at your word. Show us our sin and show us the freedom that we have in the gospel Mold our hearts to be more like yours and, and even fill me with your spirit as I preach. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned before, what we have in this passage is a model for how we can pray for other believers. And as we walk through the passage, we are going to see three closely linked aspects of prayer. Three closely linked aspects of prayer. Thanks flows into intercession, which flows into praise. Thanks in verses 15 and 16 flows into intercession in verses 17 through 19, which then flows into praise in verses 20 through 23. Just as verses 3 through 14, as Tim explained, that that's one long sentence in the original language, the same is is actually true of these verses in 15 through 23. It is one long sentence. It's one train of thought, like a single river that has multiple turns. Each point flows right into another. And Paul's prayer begins with thanks, which leads to our first point. As we pray for believers, give thanks for faith and love. 
give thanks for faith and love. Verse 15 begins, for this reason, and then jump to verse 16, for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you. What is the reason? Well, this phrase likely points in both directions. For all of those blessings in Christ that Tim has covered the past couple of weeks from the doxology in verses 3 through 14, that God adopted you, that he chose you, that he redeemed you, that he sealed you with his Holy Spirit. For those reasons, Paul gives thanks. And also for two specific reasons that are listed in verse 15. Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. First, their faith. Not just faith in anything, but faith in the Lord Jesus. It is an amazing gift that God has given us faith through the power of his spirit to make us part of a new family in Christ. And in fact, if God had not given us faith in Jesus, none of the blessings of verses 3 through 14 would be true of us. This faith is the key that unlocks all of those blessings. And then second, he gives thanks for their love, but not just any love, specifically love for the saints. For other believers. Now, this verse doesn't mean that we don't love everyone or that we don't seek to love everyone, but it calls us to a particular love and affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're looking for a longer exposition of, of what it means to love other believers, I want to direct you to a sermon series that we did in August through 1 Corinthians 13. So we won't dive too much in the specifics right now. But what we see, in, as we pray for other believers, we can give thanks for their faith and their love. On this post-Thanksgiving Sunday, what are you giving thanks for right now? What are you giving thanks for? Well, I want to encourage you to give thanks to God in prayer for your brothers and sisters in Christ, and even specifically for your brothers and sisters at EBF. Here's one practical application. Consider it your homework assignment. After the service, spend 15 minutes, just 15 minutes, writing down what about people at EBF, what you're thankful for. As you do it, call to mind anyone who displays great faith or anyone who displays great love. Just 15 minutes of thankfulness and then reach out to those people. And let them know that you're thankful. Let this be a contagious activity that we would start a chain of thankfulness in the church. Let us be a church known for our thankfulness, for the faith that God has given us, and for the love that we have for one another. And just as Paul gives thanks without ceasing for the Ephesians, let this also be something that happens year-round, not just during the Thanksgiving season. Well, Paul's thanks then flows into intercession in verses 17 through 19. And this leads to our second point. As we pray for believers, intercede that they would grow in their knowledge of God. Intercede that they would grow in their knowledge 
of God. To intercede is to ask on behalf of another. So that so when we pray for other believers, then we are asking God on behalf of other believers for an increased knowledge of him. Now, this is the part of the sermon where the structure of the verse can get a little tricky, a little bit confusing. So um, I want you to picture those wooden nesting dolls where there's the one biggest doll and when you open it up, it has a smaller doll in it, which then you open up and it has an even smaller doll in it and so on and so forth. That is similar to the structure of Paul's intercession. Let me break it down for you and give you a visual. So I'm gonna, we're going to put a slide on the screen that kind of shows an outline of what we're going to cover in this point specifically. So the overarching intercession is for a knowledge of God. You see that in verse 17 where it says, in the knowledge of him. The NIV even translates this to say, so that you may know him better. And then you see it again in verse 18, where it says that you may know. That is the central prayer, to know God better. That's the first nesting doll, if you will. So you open up that doll, and there are three works of the Spirit that Paul prays would help us know God better. Three works of the Spirit. Wisdom in verse 17 Revelation, also in verse 17, and then enlightenment in verse 18. And then enlightenment is yet another nesting doll that you open it up and and we find Paul praying for the enlightenment of three truths. The hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of his power. So hopefully that outline gives you a picture of, of what this structure looks like. And we're going to dig into each part, beginning with the central prayer, the ultimate desire that we would know God better. It's not enough to simply know about God, but rather our prayers should be that others would know God himself. So why do I make this distinction between knowing about God and knowing God himself? Well, in the Bible, there is a kind of knowledge that is not of God. There is a knowledge about God that doesn't honor him or give thanks to him. There is a knowledge about God that knows about him, but doesn't love him. So as believers, we should make it our aim then to truly know God better and cultivate a sense of intimacy with him. Especially in our Northwestern community where Intellect is such a high value. Let us not settle for simply knowing a lot of facts about God, but rather let us get to know God himself in all of his glory and magnificence. If you feel a bit overwhelmed by that task of getting to know God better, you can take take heart in the fact that we are not meant to do this in our own strength, which is why Paul prays for God to do it. Notice in verse 17 that it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you. God is doing the giving. And then in verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, God is doing the enlightening. God is the one who does this amazing work of increasing our knowledge of him. It can't be produced 
on our own. And he increases our knowledge through three works of the Spirit. And this is where we move to the first three subpoints in our outline. The first two of which are actually similar to what Tim preached last week. The first being wisdom in verse 17, that we would be discerning that God would help us sort out what is from him and and what is of the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you read wisdom, think discernment. And then the second is revelation. The second work of the Spirit is revelation, which is also in verse 17, that we would see. That God would reveal to us his truth through his word. So when you read revelation, think seeing. And then third, enlightenment, which is in verse 18, that we would understand, understand. And specifically, enlightenment of the eyes of our heart. Why this phrase? Bible scholar Itachiria Nainen says about this verse, quote, The heart, in this context, is not the seat of emotions, but rather the genuine person. The naked self without any pretentious concealment or camouflage. End quote. He's saying that this isn't about having an emotional experience with God, but rather that we would internalize the knowledge of him to our deepest core, to our innermost being. It symbolizes that head knowledge is not enough. But rather, there is a spiritual discerning, spiritual seeing, and spiritual understanding that needs to happen in our hearts. Jesus explains this to his disciples even. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 13, he says, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and we need the eyes of our hearts enlightened by the working of the Holy Spirit in order that we might see, discern, and understand in a spiritual sense, and thus grow in our knowledge of him. But we have even deeper to dig into Paul's intercession as he not only asks for the Ephesians to know God better through wisdom, revelation, and enlightenment, but Paul specifically prays for the enlightenment of three truths. And this is the three furthest subpoints on our outline. First, in verse 18, to know the hope to which he has called you. I find myself praising God that the first week of Advent is focused on hope because it feels like all of us need some hope right now. And praise God for the hope to which he has called us. Brothers and sisters, we have a firm and unshakable hope, eternity with God that was secured for us by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And when we understand the truth of this future with God, it gives us hope for the present. A future without suffering, 
a future of freedom from sin and a future of being in the presence of God, these things become a balm for the soul, particularly in a season like the one we're in now. So as we pray for other believers, ask God to open the eyes of their hearts to truly know this hope, that it would help them persevere and be comforted. The second truth then is found at the end of verse 18. It's to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Last week, Tim actually touched on the difference between how the term inheritance is used in, in verses 11 and verse 14. Um, and the way that Paul uses it here in verse 18 is similar to how it is used in verse 11, which Tim explained last week. It, it kind of talks about, it means God's people as his own possession, his portioned lot. So, so why is this good for our hearts to internalize? Why do we need to know this? Well, it speaks to how precious the church is to God. It speaks to how much he loves and values his people. In the same way that verse 15, we talked about, it mentions the particular love that we are to have for the saints, that there's a special love we have for the saints. This verse highlights that though God certainly loves all who are created in his image, he has a particular love for those whom he has purchased for himself through Christ's blood. And that includes you. So as we pray for other believers then, pray that they would understand how much they are loved and valued by God so much so that he sent his son to die for them. The third and final truth that we need enlightened in our hearts found in verse 19, is to know the immeasurable greatness of God's power. As believers, we've experienced the immeasurable power of God as it says that this power is directed toward us who believe. We have seen him save us and save others from death to life. We are walking miracles We have seen him answer prayers, some of which have even seemed impossible. We have seen him work in our lives, giving us victory over sin and and making us look more like Christ. Yet this power can be easy to forget. So as we pray for other believers, ask God to help them know his immeasurably great power. In this second part of the prayer, Paul's intercession, we see Paul interceding, asking on behalf of the Ephesian church that God would help them know him better by three works of the Spirit, his wisdom, his revelation, and his enlightenment, and specifically three glorious truths that the Spirit would enlighten in our hearts. The hope of his calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of his power. So how can we apply this intercession to our lives? Well, I want you to notice how Paul's prayer focuses on spiritual realities. 
as you reflect on how you pray for other believers, consider what it would look like for you to focus on spiritual realities in their life. Now, that is not to say that we shouldn't pray for life circumstances, um, but what I want to emphasize here is that we shouldn't only pray for life circumstances. Circumstances come and circumstances go, but these spiritual realities are what sustains us in any and every season of life. And this is especially true when we don't know how to pray for someone else. You can know nothing about a fellow believer and still have a multitude of ways to pray for them in eternally significant ways. Let me say that again. You can know nothing about a fellow believer and still have a multitude of ways that you can pray for them. If you're looking for more variety and for a deeper understanding of of what it looks like to pray for spiritual realities, consider reading some of Paul's other prayers. There's one later in Ephesians in chapter 3. There's another one in Philippians chapter 1. And another great example is in Colossians chapter 1, among many others, of course. Allow the prayers found in Scripture to guide your hearts and your minds as you pray for others. So as we pray for other believers, intercede that they would grow in their knowledge of God. And then notice as Paul is interceding for the Ephesians to know God's power, specifically at the end of his intercession, that he naturally flows into effusive praise extolling God's power and how immeasurably great it truly is. He's like a soda that's poured into a cup too quickly, overflowing with praise. And this leads to our third main point. As we pray for other believers, praise God for his power displayed in Christ. Praise God for his power displayed in Christ. And Paul specifically praises God for two displays of his power, each of which are worked in Christ, his resurrection and his authority. God first worked his power in the resurrection. Look at the middle of verse 19. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is one of the greatest, most magnificent displays of God's power. During this Advent season, we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ, who took on flesh and was truly man and truly God. That he was conceived by the Spirit and he was born of a virgin. And because he was truly man, that God took on flesh, it means that he truly died when he gave his life on the cross, bearing the weight of the entire wrath of God for our sins. But though he truly died, that he was dead and was buried for three days, he was also truly raised to life. The dead brought to life, resurrected to never die again, conquering death and sin. 
so that when we repent of our sin and put our faith in him, that we would know this resurrection power personally. So when we pray for other believers, we can praise God for how his power is displayed in the resurrection. The second display of his power is that God worked his power in giving Christ authority over everything for all time. Look at the middle of verse 20. It says, And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father in the heavenly places, which means that he is currently reigning. This language harkens back to Psalm 110, verse 1, which speaks of a future coming king who will sit at the right hand of God. And then continue on in verse 21. It says, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. There is no power on earth, no spiritual power and no earthly power that is outside of God's rule and authority. And how much above them is he? Far above. It's not even close. There is no struggle for power going on in God's kingdom. Christ is enthroned. And then look back at the end of verse 21. It says, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Not only on earth right now in this period of redemptive history, but also for all time. And Paul continues in verse 22, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This verse harkens back to Psalm 8, verse 6, which talks of the coming Son of Man, saying that all things have been put under his feet. He is over all things. And this authority is especially noteworthy for the church, to whom Christ has been given as the head. Just as we noted the particular love that we are called to for all the saints and We noted the particular love that God has for his inheritance, his people. Christ is a particular authority for the church. Though he reigns over all things, he is the head of the church. And not only does this symbolize his authority, but also that we are forever connected to him, in him, as we talked about the past couple of weeks. And that also that we are submitted to him that we are his body. What an immeasurably great power that God has, which has been displayed in Christ's resurrection and his authority. Consider how this might lead you to pray for other believers. Notice how Paul connects his intercession with his praise. He praises God for the very thing that he asks for. And this is a model for us to follow. Connect your intercession with praise for God. Praise him for the specific attributes that are related to your requests. If you pray for someone to know God's goodness, praise him for just how good he truly is. If you pray for something that feels like a really big request, praise him for his generosity. If you pray for someone to be comforted, 
Praise God that he is the God of all comfort. Or let us follow the example of Paul as we praise God for his power that's displayed in Christ. In this magnificent prayer in verses 15 through 23, we see a model of prayer for other believers. How Paul begins by thanking God for the Ephesians' faith and their love for one another, which then flows into a prayer of intercession, that they would know God through wisdom, revelation, and enlightenment in the eyes of their hearts in order to know the hope to which they have been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of his power, which then flows into praise for God displaying his power in Christ through his resurrection and his authority. For those of you who struggle to know how to pray for others or who maybe struggle to pray at all, just as I blankly stared at the baby registry paralyzed because I didn't even know where to start, let this prayer be a model for you. Let it hold your hand. Let it guide you so that you would thank God for the brothers and sisters that he has assembled here at EBF. And then intercede, asking for others to deeply understand spiritual realities. And finally, as you intercede, connect those requests with praises for God in all of his beauty and glory. So as I close the sermon, I want to close in prayer, but instead of just having me pray um, and you listen along with me and praying with me silently, I want us to pray together for our church family following Paul's model. So we're going to display the words on the screen and you are invited to pray these words out loud with me. Father of glory, we thank you for the gift of our brothers and sisters in Christ at EBF. How you have given them saving faith and helped us to love one another. We pray that our church would grow in our knowledge of you, enlightening the eyes of our hearts to know the beauty of our redemption. And we praise you for redeeming us while we were dead in our trespasses with your glorious grace so that we would be alive together with Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.